1: The deepening of personal transformation is an ongoing act of self-discovery and we're standing on the shoulders of the many pioneers in the study of the astonishing capacities of the human mind and spirit one such pioneer is the late joseph chilton pierce whose work has encompassed many decades of extensive research and inquiry our guest today is Michael Mendeza, who enjoyed a deep friendship with Joe that spanned nearly 30 years. Michael has pieced together seven of Joe's most influential books and shares insights on his work, from child development and conscious parenting to psychic phenomena and altered states and the power of the mind to shape reality. Join us as we visit the wisdom and genius of Joseph Chilton Pierce, with our guest, Michael Mendeza. Michael Mendeza is an entrepreneur, author, educator, documentary filmmaker, and founder of Touch the Future, a nonprofit learning center focused on optimizing human potential, beginning with the parent-child relationship. He's a co-author with Joseph Chilton Pierce of Magical Parent, Magical Child and is the editor of The Life and Insights of Joseph Chilton Pierce, Astonishing Capacities and Self-Inflicted Limitations. Join us for the next hour as we explore the key insights of the work of Joseph Chilton Pierce that continue to inform our amazing potential with our guest, Michael Mendiza. I'm speaking with Michael by Remote Connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions.
2: Michael, welcome. Such a nice thing to be able to be with you because of your experience and background with Joe. It's uh, really a treat. Thank you.
1: Well, and you too as well because you really had a close relationship and just can you just describe a little bit about your relationship
2: with Joe? Well, I don't know if I can make it a little bit. I'll uh, be as as uh, short as I can be. Uh, I, you know, he was a generation apart from me. I very well could have been his son. Um, we shared a great many common interests, but with again this generational difference, um, and um, I I was uh, I had a. An experience where i first heard about joe i was in a uh, spa it was actually a hot tub and my my precocious 18 month old son was playing around and and the attendant says oh you have a magical child and i said what is that and she says oh there's this book and it's you need to read it and say etc etc so i i picked up the book and i at that time i was planning to do a pbs series on this new opportunity that parents have to actually remake the whole the whole society the whole culture beginning again with that parent-child relationship and and uh, I read the book and I sighed a, a big uh, relief because Joe had done all the research that that I felt like I needed to do so that that's where it began I tracked him down and we met and 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 I described to him my insight that what we call bonding is not just from the outside, it's just not a sensory kind of thing, but there's a telepathic resonant communication that's going on between the the child and the adult, and in, in, shall we say it, beneath conscious awareness that really guides like radar um, how the child learns to be in the world.
1: Did he agree with that, that with your insight?
2: Oh, most definitely. He said he'd been writing about similar kinds of things his whole life and that this was one of the most succinct ways of stating it. And that kind of bonded our friendship. He said, how can I help? And and uh, we became pals and friends uh, for years la- later.
1: Oh, that's it. It's wonderful. And uh, I know that his work is more important than ever. And there are many people that don't know about it. And so I'm so excited that you brought out this book that just goes through so many of his insights and what he was inquiring about. So if we start talking about some of that, first of all, I'd love to talk about the mind and brain and just um, what is reality fixed and and what is mind and what is brain is is there a difference?
2: Well, that's a, a small <laughs> <We could> topic.
1: <laughs> I know, <laughs> it's I an know, easy
2: one to put into <laughs> succinct terms. But basically, you know, I had the the great privilege of not only knowing Joe, but um, David Bohm was a premier theoretical physicist uh, on uh, Einstein's protege in a way and I knew David almost 15 years. And in one of our conversations, he says, well, you know, matter dissolves rather seamlessly into mind. And this was a, a, key, a key phrase in quantum mechanics is the observer is the observed. And um, this was also the a phrase that attracted David Bohm to um, J. Krishnamurti. So they spent 25 years in a in a dialogue exploring this relationship that you're talking about. Um, so one of Joe's key lines in his first book, which was Cracked in the Cosmic Egg, is that um, a change of world view changes the world viewed. A change of world view changes the world viewed. And this is the observer, is the observed. And there's actually a new book um, by a man named Lance, I forget his first name, Joseph, I think, Lance. Um, and it's called The Biocentric Design. The Grand Biocentric Design is the name of the book. And it deals with this. And he they're basically coming to the point of proving that, that the universe doesn't create life, but that life creates the universe, which is this flip of, of our normal way of seeing things. So that's a broad and and rather sweeping way of of uh, coming into your question, but this was central to Joe's work, as you know. Well, in his twenty third year, um, he was he was I think he was uh, going to USC at the time or something like that, and he was at a pub smoking Pall Malls, as he said, and talking you know passionately about something or other and. A co- the colleague says, "You know, Joe, you're going to burn yourself because the cigarette had burned down to the to where his fingers were." And and he had this flash of insight that that the cigarette could that fire couldn't hurt him that the burn that he couldn't be burned by fire. Now where where that came from, nobody knows. But it was it was something that he was absolutely certain of. Um, to the extent that he took the cigarette and he puffed on it and he put it out on his hand with no burn. Um, he lit up another cigarette and did it again. He burnt, he did another one on his cheeks. He was showing off, basically this this miracle that was taking place. He even did one on his eyelids, right? I mean, to to just demonstrate that that um, this cigarette that and I don't remember what the Fahrenheit is of the of the thing, but the temperature um, that temperature is able to melt aluminum. Um, the 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 heat of that. So this was what he called a crack in the cosmic egg and the cosmic egg being our what I call, he he said our self-world view our self-world view or what we would call reality and so so reality is not a fixed construct we're not looking out of our mind to this fixed reality out here the the new physics on the observer and the observed is that that there's a a, a a dynamic relationship between mind and matter, and this was central to his to everything he wrote about was could be could be encapsulated in this key phrase, a change in world view meaning a change in one's self world reality changes the world view, and that was the base of all of his works.
1: And this is really coming out of um, a culture uh, which is really believing in materialism, believing in, you know, the, the uh, solid things, so to speak, and, and that's the basis of everything, material universe. And then Joe and David Bohm and and others, David Peet and and many others, Einstein and Max Planck, really turned that all upside down and said it's consciousness is the basis of everything, of all reality. And material world is kind of up at the top rather than the foundation so in in Joe putting out the cigarette on his body which gives me kind of chills to think about it is uh, on his eyelids it just kind of well, makes me cringe but that was a life changing for him in some ways that he just experimented on himself there at, with that insight
2: Well, I would say that there were, again, the term crack in the cosmic egg, the cosmic egg is a Vedic term description of our self worldview. It is, you could call it our ego or our consciousness or our ego, consciousness, reality, that's the egg. And the egg um, is a relative defining um, sphere. So the egg is relative, it's not fixed, it's a relative construct, and then there are so what we consider reality is shaped by the egg right that's kind of the simplest way the the egg shapes what we call reality so a crack in the egg means that there's some some aspect of of phenomena there's some experience that comes through that can't happen in the egg does that make sense An excluded reality kind of shows up and that's the fire not burning is an excluded reality because obviously fire burns. But when it doesn't, that means that, oh my God, um, it's not a fixed reality, it's a relative reality. So that kind of tipped Joe into this exploration of the subtitle of the new book, um, what are our astonishing capacities and self-inflicted limitations. And basically, the that self-inflicted limitations is our habitual cultural um, egg. So culture really becomes the egg, nature culture, or, you know, that becomes the formation of the egg, and, and it becomes an excluding, limiting lens. So What's the that? cracks in the cosmic egg open us up to, well, if this is a relative reality, so there's so much more... What's being excluded was his passion. What's being excluded and in what ways do we exclude it? That is basically the base for his whole work.
1: You're very clear about that. The image is, is really accessible, I would say. I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Michael Mendiza, and he is the editor of the book, The Life and Insights of Joseph Chilton Pierce. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, touchthefuture.org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Michael Mendeza, and he's the editor of The Life and Insights of Joseph Chilton Pierce. Let's talk about the magical child. Let's go to the magical child and the nurturing and the bonding that he felt was so necessary in those early years that lead us to a more expansive consciousness for later on. And, you know, there was one Part of the book that just blew my socks off. And this was, you mentioned the research by Marshell Gerber, Dr. Marshell Gerber. And she was in Kenya and Uganda. And she noticed how the women there bonded with their children and how the children's development was just far way and above Western or U.S. or European children. Can you talk about that, please, and tell us about that research?
2: Well, there's, you know, one of the things that impressed about this particular research that he was talking about is something as basic as the, as the children being in arms, not peeing or soiling the mom, Right. And they didn't have diapers. No diapers, <laughs> right? There's no diapers. So the you know, from a western perspective, how is this possible, right? This is crazy. So how could this possibly be? And so the Western person I'm asked the mothers, you know, how is this possible? And she says, Well, don't you know when you pee? <laughs> well, this implies an a degree of sensitivity and attunement. Remember, I said at the beginning that there was this rather telepathic thing going on bonding is a telepathic resonance so it's reciprocal and and goes in both directions so the bonded mother naturally is attuned to um, everything that's going on with the baby and acts appropriately in this kind of surfing dance Um, that's really what bonded is and the baby is learning beneath the level of awareness or conscious thought cognitive thought the baby is learning how to relate to the world because the baby's attuned to the mother's response to the world or the father's response to the world so there's this reciprocal dynamic going on in the fully bonded um, thing but but now you take that into a western construct and you have watson and you have all of these people that says well don't touch the child and don't kiss it and certainly don't be nice to it you know um you have this separation of the mother from the baby at birth, which was a crime. This, the greatest crime that could ever be done from Joe's perspective is the break of this attuned bond um, during pregnancy and then during birth and shortly after with the Western technological birth practices that we're putting into place. So in every way, what you were doing is shattering this um, this highly refined, sensitive, attuned, appropriate response between the adult and the child at even before the baby's born, um, the separation of the mother, the c-sections, the drugs that are used, um, all kinds of uh, all of it, you're right all of these birth practices. so um, so that's really what he was comparing was using that uh, reference to the Kenya um, uh, experiences um, as they compare to the Western technological birth practices.
1: These children, I mean, if we looked at them and how their development was, how they, they could could be aware of their surroundings, how they smiled really early, how they responded in and it would be like that they were genius IQ. And it was just amazing. So you'd say, well, how come not all of them then are little Einsteins? And it goes further. There's this wild uh taboo or, or or cultural thing that people that they do there at four years old the mother gives a child away totally abandons a child and it just was so shocking to me michael that 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 here they start off so well and just so bonded and and nurtured and then suddenly they're on their own, so to speak, or they're in a wholly different
2: environment. Yeah, and I would say much of the growth that, the, that you were referring to in that example collapsed at that point. And basically what you're looking at is uh, the difference between attunement with the mother, and the mother represents the earth and nature, so this is the, this is the bond to nature and nat- natural processes, so that's what what was there at the beginning. That is the genius that you're talking about. But that had to be sacrificed in order for culture, which is obedience to the to the dogma, um, doing it this way instead of that way, following the steps, being compared. Um, and actually in in some in some cases, it was the harsh treatment of the child to prepare them to deal with the desert or the harsh environment or war. Um, et cetera et cetera. So there was a feeling in the culture that you have to break this nurtured bond in order to condition the child to behave and compete and survive in the culture. and that was basically what was taking place in that. And you can see the same thing here. We don't you know we've we've thrown out bonding prenatally right? we we pay homage to it and say, oh we're bonding and so on but we're not we're not even, We're light years away from what Joe would consider bonding in this telepathic shared resonant kind of feeling. Um, And that is experiential. It can't, it doesn't come through the intellect. It's not an intellect. Bonding is not an intellectual construct. It's a, it's a felt um, experience, direct felt experience in the moment. So you can't put it in a book or you can't tell the mom on a tape how to bond with your kid. This was, this was an anathema, anathema for Joe.
1: And I, so then that brings us, uh, you mentioned it, it's more than just the physical. There's a field, um, uh, a field effect maybe uh, is what I, what I think you describe in the book, or Joe describes um, the field effect. And and he says it, it's like gravity. It's a verb, not a noun. And so let's talk about that field effect Um what is what is it, and and is it available
2: to us? It's a big question too, and this uh, this would segue. There were you know a series of books in the new book compilation. You have uh, Crack in the Cosmic Egg, which is the first book that launched his career. Then I believe you had A Bond of Power, which was the next one that came along. Then I believe we moved into Magical Child. Um, bond of power is is taking a look at this at this how the bond creates the cosmic egg, either it's a big one or a small one and so on. So the bond with the mother, the, the, and the mother's bond to the earth and to the father and so on, that's, that gave rise to what Joe called the model imperative, which is a key key concept. Um, in today's parlance, we would call it epigenetics. This was 50 years before epigenetics came along, and Joe is basically saying that no capacity unfolds, opens, unfolds, and is developed without it being triggered by a living model in the environment that shows the utility and need for that capacity. So this is the bond. The bond is actually the, the structure that opens up or doesn't open up the unlimited capacities that we have. So the bond becomes becomes the what is it the um, the key to what capacities are expressed or not. So as you could see from Joe's perspective, um, the hospital births and then the the instant the, the schooling that goes on and the punishments and rewards that are imposed and all of these kinds of things. All of these things are breaking the bond, um, and and narrowing that child's capacities, even of what they consider as possible, right? Is being defined by this bond. So the bond of power is model imperative or epigenetics um, operating on the brain and opening up or not opening up those things. So to go back into um, the field effect, after Magical Child, uh, Joe did a book called Evolution's End and he opened evolution's end by, dis- by describing the savant. And this was Joe's doorway into the whole world of field effects because the savant had a very low IQ. Oftentimes they couldn't tie their shoe. They needed to be taken care of. Um, and yet they were capable of, of accessing a very specific field effect. Um, one of my uh, simple examples would be how many 1956 chevy's were painted flame red right so uh, you would ask the savant that they wouldn't be able to cognize what a chevy is or flame red they don't know conceptually what that is but somehow their brain would tr- would access a number and that number would be correct um, it was it was a piece of information that was not learned or accumulated um, in any way. They just, the brain translated it from this um, non-local field and they give you the right answer. So he went through studies after studies of the savant. Mozart is a good example of a savant character. The the, uh, symphonies that Mozart developed were appeared full blown in a flash what is called insight. and then the intellect has to decode that insight and translate it into what we call cognitive um, you know thought and and then it can be communicated and shared within that within that structure. But this is a crack in the cosmic egg. The savant is a crack in the cosmic egg big time. Um, so that was Joe's entree into field effects and how it works. And this is one of those astonishing capacities that, did, if we really knew who we were as human beings, and were not truncated, and limited, and controlled by culture, we would. This would be natural. This would be normal, um, because um, we would we would have access to these astonishing capacities that were his passion.
1: When you talk about the crack in the cosmic egg, in and- I have that visual, and I also think of it as the analogy of, okay, we're all just kind of caterpillars um, <laughs> in our cocoon, and the potential we have, the capacity to be that butterfly, to crack open, and they have to they crack open that cocoon. So that's something I think everybody's familiar with. Uh, that you're saying that there is there is this potential in this. Of capacities that we have, to to tune into this field that's available to us, it's it's available. I, I guess that Joe talks about it in in terms of it's it's a process. It's not a thing like gravity. It, it's a process.
2: Uh, well, I would uh, say I would say the word miracle comes to mind. What we call uh, miracles telepathy, uh, remote viewing, um, spontaneous remissions, all of these kinds of things. And there's a whole list of them. These are just a few highlights, but you get the idea. From within the egg or our, our self-world view, our constricted self-world view, um you know remote viewing or telepathy is is a miracle it's you know it has so it's this is a miracle but it's not a miracle it's a it's it's a natural thing but we 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 lose that so
1: okay yeah i'm here with Michael Mendiza, and he is the editor of the book the life and insights of joseph chilton pierce astonishing capacities and self-inflicted limitations. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Michael Mendisa and he's the editor of The Life and Insights of Joseph Chilton Pierce. And I'd like to go back to Magical Child and talk because I know that Joe really talked about play and childhood and how important it was for the child to have this spontaneous play. He, he talks a lot about, and you do too. Your work is really based on this too. Um, so let's talk about play and childhood and virtual reality and technology and you know all of it. Uh, so let's let's delve into that. Tell me tell me where your where your thinking is and what your experience is.
2: Great question. Um, David Bohm was actually the person who opened up my eyes to what authentic play is. And he basically said that the nature of the mind is play. What we call thought is play. It's a theater. It's a theater. It's just simply the mind is creating these images and it's a theater, and 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 it's helping us kind of make sense of things. It's uh, et cetera, et cetera. So the whole state of human consciousness as cognition is actually play. And where we make the big mistake is that we treat it, which we treat it seriously. We treat this, we treat something that's play as though it was deadly serious, and it becomes dogma, et cetera, et cetera. So we also reify thought. We we create. We we falsely create um, we 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 think of um, we we create the ego which is an image, which is a playful image um, and but we treat it as though it's a it's a concrete reality, so we play falsely with play is was David Bohm's notion. Joe takes this up and play became once Joe's great insight was that play is the base or the construct for. For the, for the life process. The whole life process is actually a process of play. And how does the baby learn to walk? The, they don't read a book. Um, you don't give them verbal instructions on how to walk. They try it, they lean, they try All of these are play. By learning how to walk, the, the baby's trying it and, and they figure it out by playing. But everything in life is figured out by playing. Um, except the overlays that culture uh, wants to do. Culture has to interrupt the child's natural optimum state of play in order to bring about the conditionings that the culture feels is necessary to, to limit and constrain and control the child. So all of culture is basically a conditioning process which truncates or terminates the natural genius of childhood, which is play. Ashley Montague wrote a book called Growing Young, and uh, Growing Young was the study of neoteny, which is carrying the the most intelligent species are those that play the most, and neoteny is carrying into adulthood that those juvenile characteristics, which are called play. Um, In the book that I did with Joe called Magical Parent, Magical Child, It's all about play. That whole book is really about play. And we used what athletes call the zone and researchers called flow to explore this optimum state that children call play. So play is the zone, is the the flow state. That's the natural state for optimum learning at any stage in any activity of one's life. But we bring in conditioned memory and, and shut down the play and move into these rigid constructs and we we destroy that optimum zone. So why is it why are these athletes able to do these miraculous things? It's because they have maintained this optimum state. So play is a state, it's not the game. That's another way of looking at it.
1: You know, I'm I'm thinking of a quote from um William McDonough, who is in the lineage of Buckminster Fuller. He's an anticipatory design architect. And he said, um, nature is all about celebration, and and those who celebrate the most are the evolutionary winners. Right. You know, it's just like, yeah, when I heard him say that and what you're saying right there, it's like, yeah. And I'm thinking when... Uh, Michael, when I, I was reading the book, um, The Life and Insights of Joseph Chilton Pierce, um, there was a, a moment that I—there was something about how we give toys to our children that are fully formed. In other words, they have batteries and they run around and everything, and they don't allow the child to to pretend to move the truck along itself or or, or how I think of uh, children who who have a toy over here and then there's the box that the toy came in and for a few minutes it might play with the toy and then the child has a natural tendency to go to the box and start to pretend and build a fort or whatever. Do right. you have any comment about that?
2: Yeah, most definitely. First, the, the more articulated the toy, the less learning that goes on. Um, learning, you know, play is this exploration. So the, I, the ideal toy is the, the object that can be transformed the most. So learning is basically you 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 put forth, you you test something and then you get feedback and then you modify it and you change it and then you reach out and you do it again and there's this cycle where you're probing and testing and playing and seeing how it, how it goes when you have an articulated toy and of course all technological toys technology and so on are you know pretty fixed they 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 appear to be not fixed but but they're actually very rigid in their construct um, so you're you're basically not allowing the child to Build their imagined, their inner image of the world that they can transform. That's what play is. How do we build the inner image that then you can go out and and uh, move that inner image onto reality itself and modify reality based on the inner image that you've that you've imagined? So this brings in imagination and the role of imagination in transforming consciousness and how consciousness can then transform reality. That's that's essentially what play is when you look at it in its simple forms. But it keeps going all the way up through, you know, Yogananda and Krishnamurti and you know the the various yogis and so on who are who are applying that that same model, you know, the Tibetan anchorites and so on. They're they're actually doing what Joe did. They're using their imagination to create the image and then they have a certain quality of energy that goes with it that literally transforms the physical reality to correspond to the inner image and that's really the foundation of what play is about
1: well let me ask you then michael for those of us who did not grow up with that opportunity to to allow our imagination to fully develop and and who have been enculturated what can we do now? Our brains now have been kind of systematized in some way and indoctrinated. So what can we do now?
2: That's a tough question because um, ideally the way that nature unfolds is that, as you said, with those babies, the genius of those babies, right? Well, we're all born geniuses, right? And then that genius is is squished out of us, um, trapped, contained, jailed imprisoned and then the the way that the body works is that it habituates whatever that state is so you're born with this infinite capacity but the model you know says you can only um you can only develop a certain aspect of it and the rest you have to um um disassociate from so this was part of what the magical child book was describing was how how the adult world excluded those Genius capacities because the adult didn't recognize what genius really looked like. When the child looked to the adult for feedback to say, uh, Is, you know, I'm, I mean, the child's not trying to be a genius. They're just being naturally, they're just being what they are. But when the adult doesn't uh, verify, validate that, the child gives up on it and says, It's, it, doesn't exist and they 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 close it off and and they don't develop it so once the brain hardwires now again uh, the brain is plastic and lifelong learning is clearly there but it's a lot harder after it's been soldered than it is to develop it naturally as as nature unfolds it does that make sense
1: so, yeah, it does, but it's it's kind of a like oh my gosh, and is there no hope for me now? <laughs> well, it
2: just you know, yeah, it, you're not going to be able to. You will have lost the optimum window, and we do know that the brain grows in these in these growth spurts and so on and so forth. So there are optimum windows where learning how to walk, which and learning language. Um, happens spontaneously easily. It's not something that they struggle with. They just automatically absorb it and become it. But if you try to do that five years later, what was easy at two is really hard at five, right? And the same thing is true up all, all the way up. So it's best to open that child up and to create that optimum environment, which means you have to nurture the parent to, so that they can model. What it means right. to be magical—that was the key of that book,
1: right? I, I'm I'm thinking just now we're we're starting to see uh, ads on television, like public service ads, where where their parents are being encouraged to read to their child, to do lots of reading to their child. I'm I'm seeing this. I mean, it kind of surprised me to see this, and I think that this is. Kind of pushing us in a in a direction that that would be compatible with what your work and Joe's work.
2: So reading, uh, so symbol, so descriptive language, and we're, this goes all the way back to the '50s when television came in. So prior to television, the radio was a storyteller. It wasn't a music box. It was a storyteller, and that and what is story? Story goes back throughout human history story is the way that 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 imaginative capacity is unfolded through the delight of and and the bonded experience of the tribe and the people listening to the story. That resonant field that we talked about is shared not only through the words, but the feeling of the whole community is is entrained like going and watching a thea- watching theater. They are watching it. they're sharing that theater of the mind. So that develops so that it is the descriptive and emotional feeling of the words that evokes the internal image now television came along and basically you didn't you didn't bring the the word in which is purely abstract purely symbolic through the ears no picture the brain was had to create the picture now that's a developmental uh process that's compared to seeing building the image through words is incredibly um, highly evolved
1: and some people uh, i know that michael toms would call this radio and audio is what you call a hot medium because right. you're making the images yourself right. whereas television they make it's passive it's a cool medium it just it makes the images for you the brain is not engaged in the same way
2: so use it or so. lose it is the old thing. Okay. use it or lose it is a deal
1: yeah, <laughs> I'm here with Michael Mendiza, and he's the editor of the Life and Insights of Joseph Chilton Pierce. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, touchthefuture.org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. <laughs> I'm here with Michael Mendeza, and he is the editor of The Life and Insights of Joseph Chilton Pierce. So let's go forward. I know Joe's been gone for some years, but his work lives on. How are we right now? How can we apply this to where we are right now? Because we're facing some big things in 2021. Uh, So tell us about the urgency of the need for these insights and inquiry?
2: Well, I would say that, you know, just as television uh, diminished the unfolding of imagination by the way that it changed the brain, you know, the the technology and the television changed how the the experience that the brain was having. So it literally changed the brain. That changed the self worldview and constricted from Joe's perspective, um, human potential. Now we move into computers. We have the image that that we're getting so much we can google something and get information real fast, but that information that we're gaining is just a thin 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 layer of of what our our true capacity is and it is excluding all of the other capacities that are not in that little sliver. So technology is from Joe's perspective and I quite agree. Um, the image that I use that I think is uh, really good, um, you remember one flew over the cuckoo's nest and, and um, McMurphy was there with the Indian and the Indian was finally spoke and he described how his father was a drunk. And, and, and every time he tipped that bottle back, he saw his, li- his father's life being sucked by the bottle. Now, I use the same um, analogy with technology and the full spectrum of human development. Every time that we were, and Joe felt this way too. So technology is limiting us, not expanding us. So when you hold that or grasp that, you we, we could go back to our comments about the birth process. So that early birth process, um, you know, separating the baby, all those things that are mechanically imposed through the technological birth process impinged and negated this bond that that is so that is the 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 critical catalyst for everything so the subtext of the of the book is our astonishing capacities and self-inflicted limitations and and this is the you know we're we're moving into this massive technocracy You've probably heard of the great reset that's being discussed in terms of COVID and what's going on with that. Um, the role of, of the schools uh, collapsing, everybody's do, doing things over Zoom. Uh, re- technology is replacing the classroom and human interaction. So you see this continual spread of technology and how it's literally reshaping uh, human perception. It's reshaping the egg that we've been talking about and instead of expanding that egg to in, be more inclusive of these amazing capacities it's actually constricting it and narrowing it and more and more and more so joe's core message was uh, was to reverse that was to go back in the other direction so and i and i quite agree with him and i would i would share also that um this was exactly what David Bowman, Krishnamurti spoke about throughout their lives. Really, was was how do we open to what Kay called this otherness, the non thought based reality, etc. So so Joe's work was a was a, a rare because he blended both science, study of consciousness, and then how it expresses through biology. He blended those as no one else has ever done. With this common thread that a change in worldview changes the worldview. That's the key to unlocking um, all of Joe's works.
1: So we'd say that like uh, in virtual reality, you call it uh, like a counterfeit. It's not what's real. And there's something about, there's some bypassing it does to the brain-mind in some way that it's saying, okay, we're here's reality. It's kind of fun to fool around with, but what is it doing to uh, limit our
2: capacities, our potential? Let's use another analogy. The okay. counterfeit is a great one. Joe used the word the count, you know, counterfeit bonding, right? So you. Um, you get rid of the mom and you give it a teddy bear. So and then then you put a battery in the teddy bear. So the teddy bear talks and blinks and does these other things. So you create a counterfeit of, of the real thing. And the analogy would be uh, junk food or Monsanto pe- uh, spraying pesticides or artificial this and artificial food and so on. The counterfeit, it, it's like a zombie, right? The counterfeit is a zombie. It's dead. Um, the teddy bear is dead. It's not alive. And what we talked about this resonant field in the very beginning. So this resonant field is where all that action is. And when you interact with a, with a counterfeit, you, you're you getting the shape of the bottle, but you're not getting the nutrition. You're, you're, uh, it's fake. It's a fake. So our lives have become increasingly limited and fake. And that means epigenetically that the child is not experiencing living resonance and, and the, in, and this unlimited potential that's implied in that resonant field. So it's constricting, you know, like a, like a black hole. Um, and Joe's work, you know, really helps people awaken to the process that's taking place in the environment through technology and, and how we can still break through that. And have cracks in our cosmic egg. That's really what he's inviting us all to do.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, would it be helpful, like, to to make sure that we have an interaction with the natural world rather than uh, just the confines of sitting at our computers or even having kids? I mean, you see kids in restaurants. You know, they're they're looking at their iPads. I mean, even babies are being able to manipulate and their iPads or their little phones or whatever, and people are walking down the street and bumping into each other because their their eyes are fixed on their smartphones. Uh, so here we are. We have an opportunity to do it differently and to make sure that we have some other interaction going on
2: in our lives. So the book, the book that we just did, um, Joseph Chilton Pierce, his life and insights is basically a tour it's following his own personal journey of awakening to to this you know paradox of our amazing astonishing capacities and self inflicted limitations he's looking at that paradox and by by reading the book now the book basically unfolded i i met with joe a, a year or so before he passed and talked with him about the book And, you know, he kind of rolled his eyes because it was too, too challenging for him to imagine how one would do this. Uh, Being a filmmaker, it was a joy. It was easy for me to, to see how the pieces fit. And I knew him so well that it came together really well. But I, but I made a task of myself of, of 10%. So a 300 page book would give me 30 pages. So if we did seven or eight books and an introduction, then we're going to end up with a 300 page book. But I, I took, 10% of each book, and then thread these main core concepts that were were his life's journey um, into it. So that's the structure of the book. And and you you get to take that journey, and you're going to ask those probing questions that he asked, and you're going to see what he saw as you go through this and be challenged by what challenged him with this astonishing direct experience of fire not burning and other similar kinds of things taking place that was his reference of what those cracks in the cosmic egg were all about. And do we need to interact with nature? Heavens, yes, right? So the more that we, the more that the child's brain is immersed in a concrete technological environment, the more that that brain adapts to concrete, adaptable things. I just finished a quote that Ashley Montague used from Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he said, um, you know, the weaver becomes the web, the machinist becomes the machine. Now he wrote that in 1860, but this is exactly what's going on now. And this is exactly what the technocracy agenda is, is to negate what is truly makes us human and and move us into this um, cyborg transhuman computer blend. Bohm and Krishnamurti and Joe looked at that really carefully and it excludes this thing that we talked about, which is called insight. Machines don't have the capacity to access these fields. It can, it's limited to the known is what the computer is. In Star Wars, uh, Lucas in his original screenplay was quite clear about this. He said um, computers and drones and robots are not affected by the force. The force is this other Great infinite potential to use David Bohm's term. The force is infinite potential. The computer is limited to its mechanical structures. It can be very fast, but it's fundamentally very stupid.
1: But it won't have empathy or. And no empathy,
2: right. There's no. Or can recognize beauty. There's no appropriateness. Appropriateness is not a function of knowledge, appropriateness is a function of the other. Well, as you said, it's empathy compassion, understanding, joy, affection, all of those things uh, need to guide the intellect, not the intellect obliterate the other.
1: Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I want to thank you so much, Michael, for being with us today and giving us some insight into this pioneer, Joseph Chilton Pierce. I'm so glad that you're carrying on with the work. Thank
2: you. My pleasure.
1: I've been speaking with Michael Mendeza by Remote Connection, and he's the editor of The Life and Insights of Joseph Chilton Pierce Astonishing Capacities and Self Inflicted Limitations. And if you want to know more about the work of Michael and Joseph Chilton Pierce, go to touchthefuture.org. There's wonderful things uh, that you can access on that website. Touchthefuture.org, or you can go to the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org, and find many interviews that we've done with Joseph Chilton Pierce and also the physicist David Bohm and others. I just want to thank you so much for being with us today on New Dimensions. This is program number 3729.
0: New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973 thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a 1,000 hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.